0: Hi everyone, welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hilliard. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train,
1: educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a
0: wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at
1: the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at DJ So let's get to it.
2: Hey everybody, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier and you are listening to episode 150 of the My Fit Podcast. Today on the show, I chat with Mike Malloy. Mike is the founder of M2 Performance Nutrition, which is a personalized coaching service that helps develop the knowledge of how to use nutrition and lifestyle adjustments to maximize health, longevity, and human performance. Mike has always had a natural interest in learning how to cultivate health and performance and has spent several years studying cellular biology, biochemistry, immunology, and of course, nutrition. Mike's career path has given him a unique perspective on how nutrition and other lifestyle changes can be used to maximize any goal you may have. Mike has also worked with over 40 CrossFit Games athletes, including people like Tasia Persevage, Haley Adams, and Mallory O'Brien, as well as other several professional and Olympic-level athletes over the years. A few of the topics we got into today were first, where did Mike's love for nutrition coaching begin? And how did he form his company, M2? After that, we talked about what does it mean to just be somebody that is beyond nutrition coaching? In his bio and in a um, piece on his website, he talks about what we do is much more than just nutrition coaching. I was really curious to hear what that means, and really, what does that look like day to day. After that, we talked about how to ask the right questions when starting with a new client. Then we talked about how to build and break nutrition habits. Then we talked about eating for performance and what that looks like at the highest level. After that, we talked about the main differences and similarities between eating for performance, body composition, and health and longevity. Then we talked about why does eating more ultimately lead to better body composition? And lastly, how does stress and sleep play such a huge role in body composition? Why, and then how can we optimize it? If you guys want to learn more about M2, make sure to check them out on Instagram. They have a great Instagram page full, a ton of value at M2 Performance Nutrition. You can also check out their website at www.m2performancenutrition.com if you're looking to get some extra coaching and take charge of your nutrition. If you guys enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a rating and review as that helps this show grow tremendously. I thank you all for the continued support. I hope you enjoy episode number 150 with Mike Malloy. Let's go. Mr. Mike Malloy, welcome to the my fit podcast, man. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today.
1: Uh, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here.
2: Excited to get into some nutrition topics. I think now is this time of year <laughs> where as you probably know, you're probably smiling because this time of year is when it gets a little bit more popular. The buzzwords become a little more prevalent. People want to know everything yeah. there is to know about nutrition. But before we get into that stuff, Mike, first I want to hear about where did your love for nutrition start? And then how did M2 start?
1: Yeah. Um, so, the really, like the, the place where it honestly began was coming out of college. I was definitely not uh, in a healthy place. Um, so, I was 22. I was living in Boston. I had just finished four years at a small, uh, frozen college in Maine where we kept ourselves warm, mostly through high consumption of alcohol. <laughs> and uh, it, definitely, it definitely showed with my physique. So, I was never like a you know, massively overweight person or anything, but I was like, all right, it's time to get my, my act together. And I knew that nutrition and fitness was kind of the the way that I had to make it happen. Um, so, you know, just followed basic at that time, you know, bodybuilding principles lost, um, the weight that I was looking to lose. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I was probably 24, 25, found CrossFit. Um, and you know, the, just dove, you know, full into that chugged the Kool-Aid like a lot of people did. Mm -hmm. And, um, through, you know that whole introduction into a fitness-based life. Um, nutrition was a big component of you know the the messaging back then. So you know I tried the Zone diet, um, got to know uh, Rob Wolf right around the time that he had sort of like his separation from CrossFit. So dove into the Paleo thing for a bit, and then honestly just started to find my own path, my own passion for. Uh, how I wanted to train, how I wanted to eat and things like that. And um, I've told this story a couple of times, but I'll tell it quickly here. I was, um, you know, I've been relatively just kind of focused on eating like, like what you would consider a a mostly paleo diet. Um, But really not sure if it was the right approach, starting to dig into things a little bit. And I had this workout. It was five power cleans at 185, uh, 10 strict handstand pushups, 20 GHC sit-ups for five rounds. And I finished the thing. And I it was like literally just destroyed, like 20, 30 minutes on the ground, like pondering my life, thinking like what is happening? And at the end being like, there has there has to be another way. Um, so coincidentally, I was in grad school at the time as well, and um, studying all sorts of things completely unrelated to nutrition, but it was like, well, hey, I know how to use these databases, you know, research to figure out like what's out there. let's figure it out. And so, you know, I knew enough about energy system pathways that a lot of the work we were doing was, you know, uh, well above 65% VO two max, uh, into the anaerobic system. And that all of that was being fueled by glucose. And I'm like, okay, so I mean, I'm like chugging cans of coconut milk mixed with whey protein to keep my calories up. Where are my carbs? Like, where's my (laughs) glucose? And I was like, this is something has gone awry. And so I just completely flipped the script on his head, started eating high amounts of carbohydrates um, and started beating people that I really had no business beating at workouts. And so the, the response from my friends, people that I was training with was like, are you taking steroids? And I was like, no, they're like, I'm on," you know, the, the cliche thing that I say that ah, no, I'm on carbohydrates. <laughs> but um, the second question was always like, can you help me? It's like, yeah, absolutely. And so that's sort of where the passion for nutrition and the passion for coaching nutrition kind of came from.
2: Very cool. And now you have a company M2. Tell us a little bit about um, what, what do we need to know about M2?
1: Yeah. So uh, I founded M2 probably a good half a decade into my nutrition coaching career. Um, as things started to kind of grow, uh, we are uh, a nutrition company that's focused less about aesthetic-based changes, although we certainly know how to help people do that too, and more focused on creating happier, healthier, fitter human beings. Um, like we like to say you know, you perform in life, you perform in the gym, you perform out of the gym. Like those are our, those are our goals, uh, with all of our clients. And so, yeah, sometimes that is weight loss. Sometimes it's helping people restore a relationship with food. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. We get to work with some really, really great people from all around the world and
2: just, you know, make better, happier people. Very cool. I was cruising through your website. And one of the things that really popped out was me. It, it said, uh, quote, calling what we do nutrition coaching really doesn't do it justice. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Yeah. So we, um, we have a high amount of contact with our clients. Uh, we check in on them a couple of times a week, uh, mostly through text-based communication, just because that seems to be what works for people's lives these days. And even though it is text-based, we still try to, we try to get into those conversations with people that you know, maybe they're not as used to having. Um, and that sometimes are actually easier by word as opposed to face-to-face. Um, you know, what's life like? How's your stress levels? Um, because these things ultimately impact your nutrition. So if you're not sleeping well because you're stressed about a relationship or your job or finances or something, um, that is going to that is going to a hundred percent show in your performance, but also in how you eat most of the time. And so it behooves us to ask those questions on one level, just selfishly, because it you know produces better nutrition. Um, but you know the other aspect of it is we just care, like we care about clients on a deeper level than what their food logs are, you know. And um, ultimately, we want to help people in any way that we possibly can. So I've always said like I would market it as like a life coaching company to an extent if we could, but people would probably never hire us because it's a different thing to hire a life coach than a nutrition coach. But um, you know, for the clients that out there that want that sort of experience, we'll provide it for them. Uh, And if you just want us to kind of handle your nutrition and, you know, uh, help you optimize that and stay out of the weeds as it relates to, you know, the other stuff, we'll do that too.
2: Right. It's funny to me because nutrition is something just like fitness, where I think everybody has a different con- conception about it, whether they're depending on where they grew up in their surroundings, their environments, like people see in, in, in keeping it nutrition specific, they see it very differently. Some people take it yeah. like, man, I know I'm about to have this conversation. You're about to take away all this food for me. Some people see it as the, you know, the life yeah. aspect. I'm, I'm trying to imagine, you know, the coach and you, if you have somebody that comes up to you, they, you don't really know where they're coming from. They could have a lot of different misconceptions. Where do you start with somebody who wants to work with you, Mike? What are some of the first couple of questions you're asking them in order to really get into the nitty-gritty of why am I here? Why do you want to hire me?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, if somebody's interested in in working with us. Like obviously the the website is there for them to kind of get a sense of like what we do, but in a personal one-on-one conversation with somebody, you know, it's important to figure out what their like what their motivation for things is. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's a there's a really good rule in sales, and I don't consider what we do sales, but I think it's applicable, which is don't sell people, ask them questions, Mm -hmm. right? And you know, for example, like I've got my cell phone here, and so you know, you come into the store, and I'm like, look how great this cell phone is. It's got a camera, and it takes amazing videos, and you can watch all kinds of movies on this. And if you're like, dude, I just want something to call home every once in a while i've completely missed the point right um you know and so it's the same thing when we talk to a nutrition client like why like what are you looking for why are you here um tell me about your history tell me about your relationship with food and then i can say all right like i'm going to tailor my relas- my relationship and your experience to that versus trying to like shove you into our program you know so um if you spent the last decade yo-yo dieting I'm going to do, I'm going to approach it one way. Mm -hmm. If you spent the last decade never once thinking about your food, we're going to approach it a totally different perspective, both from a literal logistics of like what you're going to do day one, um, but also sort of like the conversations that we're going to have. You know, Um, the first person I might need to talk to them about, hey, how are you feeling? What are your stress levels like as it relates to this? You know phase that we're in. I know you wanted to come here to lose weight, and I told you no <laughs> for the first couple of weeks, months. Um, how you handle in that? Like you bought into it. Do I have to convince you? Uh, the other person, it's going to be more along the lines of like, hey, what's this bed like for you? Like you never tracked your food before. Is it overwhelming? Is it simple? Um, and just kind of getting a sense of you know how they're handling that. So you know every little person, every little client's kind of like their own unique snowflake. And a good nutrition coach adapts to them versus forcing that client to adapt to the coach.
2: Yeah, great advice. A, a, a sentence that, or a question that I kind of bring up a lot, I'm curious if you use it is the idea of asking the client, maybe in a consultation or setting something like mm-hmm. that, how, how big of a priority is this for you? You know, they come up to you, they have yeah. this goal. And to me in a fitness yeah. world, so, so I'm a fitness coach when, when somebody says, man, I want to get some muscle ups. I just want to, the first thing I want to ask, and I don't mean it to be belittling or anything like that, but it's just like, well, how how much of a priority is this for you? And if they say, it's a good question because it gets them to reflect on, you know, I'll say one out of 10, 10 being like, man, I need this right now. And if they give me like, you know what, DJ, honestly, it's like a four or five. Then, well, I, I know, I know how to have that conversation with you because if it's a four or five, then I'm going to treat it like a four or five, but if it's a yeah. really big deal for you, then, then we have a different approach. Do you have that conversation? And the reason I ask, I think is because I think a lot of people could probably agree that they want to eat healthier and look mm-hmm. better. People are all, you know, everybody's hand is up for that, but how serious are you really? Is that kind of a conversation or question that you'd ask too?
1: Yeah. I mean, we, I've, I've had it in the past and what i found is that, um, uh, you've got two different camps of people. Most people come in and I ask that question to them and they're going to give me an answer between like a 7.5 and a 10, right? Like very few people are going to say like five or lower. Um, And what the reality situation is then, is it reflected in their actions, right? And so you get two different people and like one group camp is like, I'm on this. And they're like into it and they're bought in and everyone and the other half of that camp is like, well, I thought I was into it, and then I realized that I'm going to have to think really differently about my social life, you know, and you know, having some tough conversations with mom and dad about when I come home to eat, etc. And all of a sudden, what they thought was a you know an eight or a nine is now much more like a four or a five. And so, to an extent, you know, I. I kind of let their actions speak to that question, as opposed to directly asking them. And that's, a, you know, to be honest with you, I actually love the idea of asking them straight up and then using that information to kind of send it back at them later. You're Like, well, you said it was a, you know, an eight or a nine, but your actions reflect that it's more of a four or five. Um, so, you know, we we put up uh, a post a while back, and something that I've been saying for a long time is like your actions need to be aligned, or your expectations need to be aligned with your actions, mm-hmm. right? and ultimately your actions need to be aligned with your goals you know and so um i if you come to me and you say hey i want to lose you know 15 pounds or whatever or i want to go get that muscle up whatever it might end up being doesn't matter and you know you eat junk food every day of the week you're sleeping six or less hours a night um you know you're not really paying attention to hydration and things like that and you get pissed at me because you're not getting results Well, like Honestly, that's not my necessarily my fault. Like, yeah, I'm I should be there trying to motivate you and create behavior change. That's my job as a coach to an extent, but you can only bring a horse to water, right? You can't make a drink. On the flip side of that, if you're eating, you know, if you're weighing and measuring your food, ninety percent of the time, uh, eating high, you know, high quality stuff, sleeping eight hours a night in a pitchback room, you know, not just moving the hour or you know hour and a half that you're in the gym, but the other, you know. 14 waking hours of the day, you're also somewhat active. And then I'm not producing results for you. Well, now you got a right to be pissed at me, you know? And so that's for me kind of like where the, where things kind of end is like, I'm going to let that dig that uh, your actions dictate to me how serious this is. Um, and then adjust, right? So some people actually are really serious in my opinion. Some people come to me and they're like, this is a nine or a 10 on my scale. And their actions don't reflect it. And sometimes it is okay. I really, it's just not that important to me. But sometimes it's actually just people have this. Um, what was described to me once is like an immunity to change, right? So, as an example, let's talk about a guy who says, "I want to lose, you know, ten pounds." But every Friday night after work, he's at the bar. He's having five or six drinks and can't seem to get out of his way. And then the next day, he's making bad decisions. He's not making progress. So. You ask that guy like, Hey, is this important to you? And he's like, yeah, it's super important. Well, then why are you at the bar drinking? And in my experience, if you kind of have this conversation, kind of push a little bit, a lot of times there's this sort of like old social expectations of like who I am to my friends and family. Mm. And it's now in conflict to this new goal of losing body fat. right? Interesting. And so it's not that it's an unimportant goal to the guy, it's just that there's this other thing in his life that at one point was helpful and was a good thing and is now counteracting this, this, this goal that he has. And if I say, well, what happens if you drink, you know, only have one beer and then call it? Well, I'm worried that my friends are going to judge me or that they're not going to think I'm fun anymore. Well, have you asked them that? No. Well, what if your friends decided that they didn't want to have an extra drink that night? They wanted to call it at one drink because they had a goal around their health, their fitness. Would you judge them and call them you know, bad names? No, oh, I'd never do that. So why would these friends do it to you? Mm. That's a good point, right? And so then you start to unravel these these mental blocks that people have that are preventing them from actually achieving a goal of you know, a nine or a ten importance in them. You know, so it can be something like social situations, it can be you know family situations, it can be um, their work or like their status. It can be you know, I deserve this because I've worked my freaking ass off all week long at work. And so those are types of things that can prevent somebody from achieving a level nine or 10 goal for them.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic, man. I really like that. Or how about just the story in your head too? We talk about that a lot on the show, the, <laughs> yeah. the story that people tell themselves, whether it was told from their parents or just the story they told themselves kind of growing up, how much can that get in the way as a coach of like, you're, you're trying to coach a person, Mike, but actually you're trying to coach the person that's in the person that's yeah. telling oh, them these sure. stories. Tell, tell me about, you know, what are the struggles when that happens?
1: Oh, absolutely right. You know, you, you know, there uh, there's that person who feels like again, like they, they they play a role for them or their family, and it might be, you know, the the fun fat guy or whatever, right, or something like that, who who makes fun of themselves as uh, the way that they interact with people, and they don't think it has anything to do with their nutrition. And it's like, no, it has a lot to do with how you handle things, right? How you handle stress. Um, so it's definitely uh, definitely a part of like that interaction is just figuring out like who that person is and helping them try to find a new identity. Right. So a good example, um, she's put this story out there herself. Her name's Katie. She's a client of mine from the UK. She's awesome. And, you know, I think she had it in her head that she had to be like this, this type of person that always put everyone else before them, right? That always said yes to every social occasion, that always said yes to the the glass of wine, to the the dinners, the whatever. And, you know, um, ultimately she wasn't in a good, happy place as a result of it. And so, um, we, we worked hard on, of course, like changing her new diet and nutrition thing, but we worked just as hard as helping changing like who she viewed herself as, you know, there's a great book. I, I imagine you've read Atomic Habits, mm-hmm. um, where like he talks a lot about you need to create a new identity for yourself in your head, because once you do your actions will be much easier to align with that. So if you view yourself as the people pleasing friend, you are going to act in that way. And you will make decisions as it relates to all of your goals that are in line with who this person's identity is. So if I can shift that identity to, I am a, uh, a fitness loving, in this case, Katie uh, does TRX and like goes for walks and runs. I'm a fitness oriented mom. Mm. So that's now her new identity. Yeah. And so when she goes out with her friends, when she goes out with her family, she's making decisions that are in line with that identity, not the old one anymore. And as soon as we flipped that switch, like the progress was crazy. Like she's made tremendous, um, you know, uh, steps. And honestly, some of it's nutrition, some of it's like, you know, uh, social si- situations and drinking, but a lot of it was on the flip side of things. It was getting her to motivate to go for those walks, to generate 10,000 steps a day, to be consistent with her TRX routine, not to take her sleep seriously and things like that. And so it's interesting in that situation, it wasn't the nutrition, it was everything else that she was saying. That's a secondary importance to being the fun-loving social person, and now it's not. Now those things are almost non-negotiable. Like she's packing her TRX bands when she goes on vacation with her. Mm. Um, she's volunteering to be the designated driver when they go out and stuff like that. And so it's just she's 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 putting her actions with this new this new person that's inside of her. You know,
2: and I can imagine that it took a while to get to that point. But but mm-hmm. is the question, Mike, with Katie, is that is it something like? Katie, how do you, how do you want to be seen or how, you know, how, how do you, how did you get her to that point is basically what I'm asking. Was there one question that kind of unlocked it for her? And she's like, well, I want to be the fitness enthusiast that people see. And because of that, these are the actions that follow. How did you get there? Yeah. Uh,
1: it was a little bit of that discussion was basically was like, okay, this is a change that you want to see. You know, you used to be this person, I think. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And I think to make the extent that made it easier for her. But I think for a lot of people is like, they, they used to have that identity. And then things changed. Uh, kids is a really great way to change that sort of identity, and they built this new world where, like, all of a sudden, they were no longer the central, the central focus point, and they gave everything to being a parent. And now those kids are getting older, or they're seeing changes as a result of that, um, that new self image, and they don't like it. And so with Katie, it was like, listen, you can still be an awesome mom and have fitness goals. And it was just helping, I think, her to identify that they weren't mutually exclusive. She just had to um, be willing to kind of defend her time a little bit more vigorously than she was before. So the conversations, honestly, were like, "All right, listen. You say this is a goal. You say this is important to you. Your actions right now are not fully in alignment with that." Sure. You have to tell yourself. We have to decide whether or not this is really an important goal, or um, it's not. No, this is really important to me okay i think you have some immunity to change type situations going on here such as you want to be the fun social friend you want to be the mom that always does the things for their kids 24 7 365 and as a result of that you're not being consistent with your routine your gym routine you're not being consistent with you know um saying no to the second or third drink and these things are now keeping you from the progress that you want to make and so if they're important to you you're going to have to make changes with them. I'm here to help you, but ultimately, this is your responsibility to do so. And the great thing about Katie in that situation that not every person has is she was willing to accept the personal responsibility. You know, that's a big thing for me with clients, coaching, but just life in general is like ultimately, you are responsible for your own yes. shit. And um, if you're not willing to kind of make those changes, you're going to be in some serious trouble.
2: You know? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad you brought up Atomic Habits. It's one of my favorite books, and I think when people think about nutrition they think about habits that just kind of coincide mm-hmm. with each other for whether it's a good thing or a bad thing i'm curious on how how do you view nutrition through through creating good habits where does your mind go
1: you creating good habits and nutrition yeah um let me think about that honestly the first place it goes really is the, it's not nutritional in direct way, but it's sleep so like you know if i see somebody that has a really hard time prioritizing sleep in their life first thing is can they change it, right? So, um, you know, they're a first responder, they're, you know, in the medical field or something Mm -hmm. like that, you know, um, they've got three kids all of under the age of seven or something, to an extent, there's a limit to like what they're going to be able to do. But a lot of times there are ways to make changes. They just don't know it. And so that's the first thing, like get your sleep together because lack of sleep is going to increase your hunger by like 25% with just two nights of bad sleep. Never mind three, four, five, and six. Um, the, you're more, way more likely to go for like hyperpalatable foods and things like that. So it just makes it really, really, really hard to stick to your plan when you're not sleeping enough. Sure. So that's step one. Next big thing for me from a nutritional sort of habit point of view is um, protein. So the average human, you know, Western cultured person um, eats less than hundred grams of protein per day and way too much carbs and fat, you know, comparatively, you know, again, this is, we're talking like broad, you know, population level, not necessarily our microcosm of CrossFit Mm -hmm. um, or functional fitness. And so, you know, even, even within the CrossFit population, people are generally not eating enough protein. So like, let's dial that in. Let's aim for something in the range of like 0.75 to one gram of protein per pound of body weight. Um, as as a good sort of starting point. And the benefits of that are like huge. So one satiety is going to be massively improved, right? Proteins tend to be pretty, pretty satiating. Um, two, it has a high thermic effect. So it takes calories to digest and absorb those into the body. So rank, cranks your thermic effective food way up. Um, and then three, it just helps you to build lean muscle mass, right, which is beneficial for all the things that we do um, you know in life, but never mind, in the gym. And so those are three major benefits that are going to come just by getting somebody to focus on those things. So yeah, I'd love to, you know, most clients we give macros like right out the start for protein, fat and carbs. But I'm really paying attention heavily to that protein one. And if I can get people to hit that, usually other stuff starts to fall in line. Um, if they're eating way too much fat, if I crank the protein up, generally they'll start to come down, you know, things of that nature. So that's priority one, sleep. Priority two um, is, is protein. Priority three would just sort of being putting that whole picture together. So like balancing out you know, the, the, the total calories per day in a way that's sort of, um, in alignment with their goals. We can do those three things. That's that's probably like 80, 85% of the pie being bluntly
2: honest. Right. That's a big win. What about, what about those are positive habits? What about negative habits? I'm thinking about somebody who's like, man, I just have this habit of every time I'm in the kitchen, Mike, I, I got to go for that, that mm. uh, those, those M and M's or, or yeah. you know, so, some of those habitual things. Where does your mind go when a, when a client brings that to your table?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, breaking those bad habits is, is definitely important. Um, and it's sometimes, man, it's crazy because like people will come to you and they're like, oh, I'm just not like, whether it's working with us or somebody else, like they're on relatively low calorie counts or whatever. I'm just not making any progress. And it's like, mm, something's to awry here. Like there's no way that you're eating 1400 calories a day, going to the gym five days a week, um, you know, walking somewhere between eight and 12,000 steps a day and not making progress. And sure enough, it's little things like while I'm cooking, quick little pops in my mouth that I'm not paying attention to. Um, you know, I'm putting my coffee together and I weighed out my whatever tablespoon of creamer and I still don't like the flavor of it. It's so a little splash more. Um, those little things start to add up in meaningful ways and derail progress because, like, there's very few human beings that have a basal or a resting metabolic rate below 1400 calories. Never mind. After training for an hour a day and going through life, and yet people are saying, "Oh, I can't make progress on these." You know, sure, there's some rare exceptions where that's the case, but pretty, pretty rare. So, how do you break those habits? How do you work with that person? Is you first you got to identify them and then try to remove them? You know what I mean? Um, so, like your example. All right, so I've got the you know the kids' candy jar or cookie jars there. If you see it at the end of a long, hard day of work when you come home, mentally fried a little bit stressed out, you are going to go for those, you know, it would be like getting, you know, you could be the most devout person ever. If I get you hopped up on ecstasy and drop you off, you know, at a rave, like bad shit's going to go down, right? (laughs) Right. Like your bad, bad choices are going to be made. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of like the, the, the the hormonal sort of response that you're dealing with when you come home from a long, stressful day at work and that stuff's just staring you in the face. Mm -hmm. So like create distance, right? Put it, somewhere that it's not so easily visible visible i promise the kids will still ask you for the freaking cookie you'll you'll be able to give it to them you know um those are the good examples it's just honestly first is bringing awareness to it and then secondly trying to create just enough separation and like space for that person to to pause right and get past that immediate sort of like snap reaction if you can get that person past that snap reaction to more of a a conscious decision they'll usually slow down enough and make a one that's that's in line with their goals. It's just, you know, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're emotional beings and we sometimes act before we think, you know?
2: Totally. For me, Mike, when it happens the most is when um, maybe I'm underfed throughout the day and then I come yep. home at night and because of that, I'm like, I, I don't care. I just need something in yep. my belly. So for me, if I'm going to really nitpick here, it's probably making sure that throughout the day. I'm well-nourished mm-hmm. so that I can prevent that at night happening. It's usually not in the morning. I'm waking up. I'm like, man, let's go slam whatever. It's usually at oh, the yeah. end of the day when you're burnt out. So maybe maybe backtracking it that way could be helpful.
1: Yep. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. So if that situation, you're my client, I'm going to say, hey, we got to kind of work on really paying attention to feed throughout the day. I understand that you have a busy job, that you're you know on your feet a lot of the time. It's not easy to, you know, to get food down when whatever you're coaching or something along those lines, um, but we got to make it a priority. And so you know um, uh, that's that's going to set yourself up for success. And a lot of times, you know, people will sometimes do that not consciously, and sometimes they're doing it consciously. They're like, "I'm right. scared. I'm going to be hungry at the end of the day. I'm going to save all of this food for the right. end of it." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then it kind of backfires on them because they have this ravenous, sort of like out of control response, as opposed to a much more controlled one. So you get them to avoid that macro hoarding. You spread it more throughout the day, um, and things all of a sudden start to balance themselves out much, much, much better. But yeah, every situation is a little unique, you know, um, for every person that, you know, um, could make a conscious decision of it. Sometimes there's just like, there's there's just a really busy person, you know, like if I work with a couple of doctors that are in the OR for six hours at a time, it's like, well, you can't, I can't tell them to go get a freaking protein bar, mm-hmm. you know, like they can't stop surgery. And so you got to be creative, recognize that like the solutions for each individual are going to be a little bit different and you sure. just got kind of to adapt on the fly you're coaching to that scenario. Very cool.
2: I want to talk for a minute about eating per, for, for performance. So you work yeah. with a couple, uh, yeah, a couple dozen, uh, CrossFit games athletes and, and, and it's, <laughs> sure. it's awesome, man. I'm curious to hear about, you know, I know that's not what you guys want to be known for. You want to be known for, you know, helping, helping people just be happier and healthier, like you mentioned earlier, but I think, It'd be very valuable to talk about the idea Mm -hmm. of eating for performance and how that looks different and maybe why it uh there's some gray area and some people don't really understand i just want to i just want to hear from you talk to me about eating for performance
1: yeah so i mean a lot of our clients do end up eating for performance even if they're not games level athletes you know they might be training two hours a day uh, all the way up to those four or five hour days that you know the the professional athletes really are doing um and so the same basic principles apply really across that spectrum and so the big ones are, um, we we are here to chase performance, first and foremost. And the mindset shift that you have to have for most athletes... I was actually just talking about this on uh, Instagram Live with Gabby McGall yesterday. Uh, you know, sixth place at the Games, third place at Rogue. is A lot of people come to us and especially the female athletes with the mindset of, I'm going to eat as little as I possibly need to, to do the things that I want to do in the gym. And oftentimes that leads to a lot of binge eating um you know uh, poor recovery and ultimately not making sort of progress they end up sort of like with this like higher levels of water retention due to stress hormones and things of that nature and so they come to me or someone at m 2 and we crank their macros up you know slowly over time in some cases and other times a little bit more aggressively and um specifically you know the thing that kind of works or that goes counter to most of our society is like just tons of carbohydrates you know um I don't have a games level female athlete on less than 400 grams of carbs, you know? Um, and that could be somebody who's on the smaller side. Um, who's a good example. It's so like Fisa Goffey, She's like 135 pounds soaking wet. Like she's 3,200 calories a day, you know? Um, like, uh, who's another good one? Uh, Mal O'Brien, you know, as she preparing for the game, she's closer to like 140, but she's, you know, 500, 550 grams of carbohydrates per day even now in like a relative off-season phase, she's over 400, you know? Um, And this is two examples. You you know, somebody like uh, a bigger, stronger athlete can have huge calorie counts, you know? Um, And so it's just getting people to kind of get over that fear of um, eating and eating carbohydrates first off. And then that next step is honestly the types of foods. So if I have, you know, 140 pounds, woman eating 550 grams of carbohydrates that's not going to happen from salads broccoli sweet potatoes and even like white rice like we're going to need some denser carbohydrate sources in there and helping them to recognize that there's nothing wrong with you know Gatorade there's nothing wrong with you know whatever gummy bears and things like that even that these are dense ways to fuel the body in a sense in a way that's not going to impact their training because there's like a giant pile of food sitting in their stomach but most of these people, men and women, come to us from this background of like, refined carbohydrates are the literal devil. They're going to cause me to have diabetes, get sick and die, you know? And while that is 100% true for an inactive person that's walking down the street, it is a completely different scenario for a human being that's training four to five hours a day, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, those are our main priorities. From there, there's a lot of shit that we can go into as it relates to like macronutrient timing, you know, pre-workout, post-workout, intra workout. And things like that, we do get there for a lot of those athletes. But sometimes it's just hammering those basics: eat enough food, eat enough protein, eat enough carbohydrates. Don't be scared of the processed stuff because you need it to be the athlete that you want to be. Do
2: you think most people, Mike, are sca- if they if they're scared to do this, um, are they scared because they're they're nervous about? Gaining weight, losing performance mm-hmm. in the gym, like, what's the biggest, like, Oh, it's all
1: weight gain. It's all fear about weight gain, literally just okay. weight gain, right? Everybody's how do you, over- how how do you overcome that?
2: Yeah. How do you overcome that? Man?
1: You show them, you show them that it's not going to happen, right? It's just, sometimes you got to hate, you got to trust me. And you know, the good news is that because I've been doing this for so long and that M2 has been on the scene doing this for five you know, years now, we have enough case studies to show people that like, look, it's not this automatic thing that you're going to get fat because I'm asking you to eat more food, you know? We have dozens and dozens of stories now of people going from um, what was, you know, trying to eat 1400 calories a day while training two, three hours to eating 2800 calories a day um, and looking like a totally different human being with just like muscles everywhere and abs that weren't there before, despite eating, you know, supposedly less food. And, um, you know, get people away from the scale, right? Like, listen, you've been underfueling yourself for years now. We're going to do it appropriately. You may gain body weight. But it doesn't mean it's body fat. Like you might actually finally be building the muscle that allows you to increase your squat, increase your deadlift, even increase your pulling and pushing with gymnastics and things like that, because you have muscle now. Um, what's a good example of that? Oh, um let's just think about somebody like Haley Adams, right? You know, so still a relatively, you know, smaller athlete, you know, tall, you know, uh, longer, leaner, and things like that. And when she started with me, she was like 135 pounds, you know. She's probably added 10 pounds over the time by eating uh, you know, close to 3,000 calories a day, if not more, and lead up to the games. So has she, got, has she gained weight? Like, did her, potentially on some level, one of her core fears of getting heavier happen? Yes. Mm-hmm. Was it that she gained body fat? Uh, no. <laughs> right. right, right. Like she's, just, she's just getting more muscular, right? Mm-hmm. And so, she, yeah, she's still got a ways to go as it relates to what her goals are for strength and things like that. But that's a perfect example of somebody that learned to eat more, you know, fixed um, some of their performance uh, holes as a result of under-eating, and now is, you know, a heavier but ultimately better athlete.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I think how I see nutrition and I, I don't know if this is correct, but if somebody's coming up to me and they want a nutrition advice, I kind of want to put them into three different buckets, Mike. And my thought is like, are you, are you eating for performance? Are you eating for body composition? Are you eating for just health longevity? And that, that's just kind of how 100%. I frame. It. Okay, cool. Yep. So, so if you see that as well, uh, how, what are the differences? What are the main differences uh, yeah. between the three? Wh- wh- where's your mind go there?
1: Yeah. So I think there's like overlapping. I have a like I, I do a nutrition presentation a couple times a year and I have like this literal visual. It's like overlapping Venn diagrams, right? So can you chase performance and improve aesthetics? Yes. Okay. Can you chase performance and improve health? Yes. And in both of those situations, it's to a point, <laughs> right? So at some point, as you chase performance, if you do so in a way that's also distracted by this aesthetic base goal of getting leaner and leaner, you are going to make sacrifices to your overall performance. Same thing. So uh, for your health, like no one would ever argue that being a pro, you know, football player, even like a pro, like tennis player or anything else like that, is a healthy long-term pursuit. Most of those athletes have, uh, once they've retired, some pretty serious like physical ailments that they're dealing with. I think we're going to see the same thing for people in the functional fitness space. Absolutely. It doesn't mean it's not a worthwhile pursuit. Like you're gonna have shitloads of fun memories to, you know, to live the rest of your life or to remember for the rest of your life. But it you should be it should be known. I think as it relates to the nutritional space, the 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 place that's really at like the most interesting for your audience and for me as a coach is that that health or to me, the performance versus the aesthetic side of things. Yes, and man. where I think people kind of get themselves confused is they see people like Tia Claire to me, you know, uh Andy daughter, Haley, Mal, Emma. Mm-hmm. out there with incredible physiques while also eating for performance and they say well i should be able to do that too and the reality of the situation is that there's sort of like um there's these people that are able to perform at their absolute physical best while still having really um desirable aesthetics right but that does not mean it's applicable to everybody so for, for every athlete like that, there are examples of other athletes that I can think of mm-hmm. that to chase their, their most aesthetic perspective would cause sacrifice to their performance. So let's just think about athletes that I've worked with that I've, I've had talks about this with. Somebody like Atasia Persevich, who you've had on your show, like Kenzie mm-hmm. Riley. Mm-hmm. Um, there are others who I, I, I have in mind, but I haven't worked with them. And so I don't want to put their names out sure, there. Sure. But you know, both of those athletes had desires to be leaner and if you compare their their fittest levels like so you know when tasia was at her fittest is probably like waterpalooza you know or the games when um her, when it was you know her and china and the rest of the mayhem crew and they just dominated right mm-hmm. um that was probably her fittest i would say she was probably top 10 fittest in the world she was just on a team at that point like her aesthetics were not something that she was happy with like she felt like she carried more body fat you know she had tons of muscle mass that she wasn't really super excited about and things Um, and so for her to chase aesthetics, she would have had to be less fit because she tried, (laughs) she's tried before it didn't go well. Same thing with McKenzie, right? McKenzie is, you know, I think her best finish was somewhere around 15th place at the CrossFit games. Um, and you know, would she have liked to have been leaner? Yes. But every time we tried to make that happen, her performance just tanked. Mm -hmm. Like literally she's like, I feel like garbage. All of my strength is gone. I I can't get into the gym to do the things that I want to do that I need to do to go out there and be my best, you know. And so it's frustrating for an athlete like that. Never mind one who isn't a games athlete that's just sitting at their yes, local yeah. gym, being like, yeah. "I see all these people doing it. Why isn't it? Why is it not the same for me?" And it's like your situation is different, mm-hmm. you know. So many of these people have are definitely blessed with good genetics. That's that's for sure one thing that we can't ignore a lot of them have literally been doing some form of strength training since they were children, like literally prepubescent through the years of puberty, doing things that were, that were designed in this way that I think have lasting benefits. You know, some of them are professional athletes. Like literally this is all they do. There's one athlete who uh, I worked with. I don't work with anymore. She's you know super, super, super high profile, high success. You know, she finished training, and she went home and sat on a couch and relaxed. She would take naps. She would sleep 9 to 10 hours a night. I compare that to some of my other performance-based clients that have the same goals, the same desires. But when they finish their 5 hours of training, they go coach for 4 more. They get 7 hours of sleep per night. And that's, the, that's their absolute best. They're giving it everything they got. They get 7 hours. They have relatively stressful lives. They're living you know, paycheck to paycheck. And so that produces a different physique in my mind. You know, if I gave them all of those advantages that the other person have, I'm not saying that they necessarily would be across a CrossFit games athlete, but they would probably have that better physique that they're looking for in combination with the performance. And so all of these things, lifestyle, genetics, you know, training history are gonna be um, determining that health or excuse me, that performance aesthetic balance. And sometimes you have to make sacrifices to that, that leanness to be your absolute fittest, 100 percent
2: for sure. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm hearing you correct, Mike, basically what we're saying is that better aesthetics doesn't always mean better performance and better performance doesn't always mean better aesthetics. Aesthetics. A hundred percent true. A hundred percent for sure. And and how do we, the million dollar question is how do we as coaches get that out more because here's what I'm saying. I'm thinking, I'm thinking the people that go to the granite games per se, I say that because yep. we're in Minnesota, they go to the granite games, they see these women, they look jacked, they look ripped. They're like, man, if I can, the, the next step to me, Mike is they're doing, they're doing muscle-ups and walking on their hands, doing all this stuff. If I can do that, then I'll <laughs> yeah. look like that. Right. Right. And that's right. as a fitness coach, that's where I'm like, oh my gosh, that needs, I'm so passionate about that because that needs to get stopped. And I can imagine it too, also from a nutrition yeah. standpoint, if they're eating that much and they look like yes. that, then, then I should be able to do that. Right. A hundred percent. And I think,
1: yeah, it's, it's super frustrating as a coach, as a nutrition coach, because you know, it's um the assumption is that that's all it takes. Right. And so the reality is all the things we just talked about, you need to be focusing on eight plus hours of sleep at night, low stress, high quality diet. Most of the time, you know, um, uh, all of that stuff, you still may not get where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is if you really want to, if the visual thing is the thing that you care about the most, maybe the best path forward for you is not necessarily to be chasing high-end performance for a while. Maybe it's to come into the gym, train 60 to 90 minutes, you know, hypertrophy based, you know, strength based, go home, take an hour long walk, not a flipping sled drag, you don't put a weight vest on, you don't run for goodness (laughs) sakes, but like a low stress walk for an hour, right? Generate, 10,000, 12,000 steps. And that may actually give you the aesthetic changes that you're looking for. So I can't even t- begin to tell you how many times people have been like, just so fed up with not making the progress. And I'm like, will you try this for me? And they're like, fine, I'll just do it. And the results are transformational. Paige is a great example. Paige is a perfect example. So she finishes her career. She's like, all right, I'm done competing at the CrossFit Games. I'm, I am I want to lean out. And I'm like, cool. But she's still like, we'll use the lack of a better term. She's still addicted to CrossFit. Right. And So she's training like two hours a day relatively high intensity we're putting her into what i believe is a caloric deficit and whether or not she's losing body mass or not she's not seeing the changes that she wants i say she finally says like all right i i've had it i'm i will do whatever you say i'm like all right you know go go talk to bergner get an hour a day strength program and i want you to walk 12 to fifteen thousand steps do not run you walk and she did it and like in two months it, it was the most insane transformation, her body first just let of let all the stress, like 12 pounds of weight loss in like two and a half weeks. Mm. I would say some of it was body fat, but mostly water weight, right? And she's like, I feel better. I'm sleeping. I'm no longer grinding my teeth at night. Like everything's better. And then we just had this steady continuous progress because she was able to see changes. She was more motivated to stick with things. Her body wasn't stressed and retaining five, six pounds of water weight per week because she was doing literal bear fight workouts. And it's not to say that those aren't fun and that you can't train and have good fitness and do all of those things. But like it's an important message to your audience and in general that if aesthetics are the goal,
0: mm-hmm.
1: to an extent, you should think about training with aesthetics to be the goal. If performance is the goal, then you train for performance to be the goal and you let go of the aesthetics fit. Right? And it doesn't mean you can't switch goals or have phases to your training and things like that. but. Don't confuse yourself that like CrossFit is the best thing that you could possibly do to generate elite aesthetics, just because there are examples of that in the community.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. That's where I've used 100%. I couldn't agree more. I smile because I'm like, yes, we, this is the message that needs to get pumped out. <laughs> and when we were talking uh, off air, you, you said one of the things you want to talk about was the realization that cutting weight is much easier mm-hmm. if they take the intensity oh, down dude. a notch or even 10. So now we're not even talking... Aesthetics per se. I'm not really talking about just getting a six pack. Nope. I'm just talking about losing weight. Can you educate totally. us, Mike, on why is it easier to cut weight if we take the intensity down? Whereas I think most people are thinking, I got to crank the intensity up, man, because I got to yep. lose this weight. Teach us. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think uh, again, so some of it is just like we were talking about that stress response. Um, there's a, there's a really great nutrition nutritionist out there His name is Lyle McDonald, and he kind of um, you know for, for he's controversial and he says some stuff that I don't necessarily agree with, but he described this thing with uh weight loss um, people where you know they're in deficits but they're training with relatively high intensity high frequency and they generate this sort of like what he calls like squishy fat and it's just like water based like sort of retention and they just feel fluffy and if they take a rest day it's like whoosh it's gone right and so it's that like that lack of stress that actual uh, re- um, recovery that the body is getting that says okay we can let go of this water weight that i think is part of it the other thing i think is I don't know about you or the listeners that you have, but if I go and do, I don't know. Let's just take a relatively no, well-known high-intensity workout that's moderate duration. Oh, um, I, so let's just say like a 20-minute AMRAP with you know squat cleans, biking, um, and I don't know. It doesn't matter. GHG sit-up or something like that. I finish that. I all I want to do for the rest of the day is go sit and eat. <laughs> Like I just want to go home and eat food and sit and not think about work or do anything. I'm a zombie. You know what I mean? And in that situation, I feel as though there's like this probably like unknown non-compliance that people are having as it relates to their nutrition, where they're kind of in this like phased out zone. They're like, yeah, I know I should be the calorie deficit. I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm just going to take it anyways. And so I think there's a component of sort of behavior that changes when you're dealing with super high intense training that brings you back and says like i'm just going to sit on my ass all day. I'm not going to go for a walk. I'm not going to stand. I'm not going to do chores. I'm not going to do all the things that I would normally do. I'm just going to literally sit here and not feel great mm. <laughs> for a couple of hours. Sure. You know. And so um it's almost like maybe it's maybe it's grabbing an extra handful of food or maybe it's just sitting there and not moving for 3 hours. That's then getting people out of the calorie deficit that they're working so hard to generate in the first place. And so when you move to a, uh, a lower training intensity style program, like leg days are still pretty brutal. Like I won't lie. Like Mm -hmm. I do a lot of strength training and I'll finish a leg day and I won't be super excited to do stuff for an hour afterwards. But like once I've had a meal, I'm usually pretty good to go. Um, but you finish those training sessions and like, yeah, you're, you worked hard. For sure but i can go home and function i have much more sort of willpower to stick with everything else for the rest of my day going for that walk eating high quality food staying hydrated getting the Mm -hmm. sleep thing to get i'm so much more motivated to do those things because i haven't just poured every ounce of my daily willpower into an hour-long session at the gym you know going really hard on a strength component really hard on whatever gymnastics or a skill component and then crushing myself with a metcon Um, not to say that that's how people train, but you know, a lot of people train that way. And I think over time, those little things just start to add up and you start to see some progress. And then that's just very motivating. You know, I, I can't tell you the number of clients that I've done this with, where it's like, we make these changes, we move away from the intensity. And then they're just like, wow, I feel a lot better. I have so much more energy to go out the rest of my day. I'm uh, I'm more focused in my decisions. Everything's just cleaner. Like I have a much cleaner approach to my nutrition and my lifestyle right now.
2: Right. Would it also make sense to Mike? Like, if they're in a, cal- a caloric deficit and they're training as if they're not. So, let's say they're eating, you know, fourteen hundred calories a day, but they're doing CrossFit every day. Like, you can see that those things are really off. But maybe if they take out the CrossFit and they bring it, and they and their exercise is a little bit lower intensity, that that style of training will match their style of eating a little bit better. So, there's a little bit more of so. remedy there. Does that make sense at all? I think so.
1: I think so. I also will say that one. I think you're right for sure. I think there's also this sort of conception that like CrossFit is a really high calorie output training mm-hmm. modality, yeah, and I don't not. think that's necessarily true at no. all, right? So like, let's think about a really well run hour long class. Sure. Like, let's talk about a, a good quality gym. So for me, that looks like you know some mobility and mm-hmm. some some warm acti- warm up activity for ten to fifteen minutes, right? And then, you know, very few gyms are just going to do one piece sort of like old school 2008 cross it. So there might be a strength component to it per- perfectly fine. Let's say it's, um, uh, ascending, you know, sets of five deadlift one rep, you know, we're building up to one heavy set that might take 15, 20 minutes. So now we're at the 35 minute mark. We have a transition period, five minutes. We do some more skill, um, you know, movement review for whatever is coming next. Um, to make sure that people are moving well, let's say it's power snatches and pushups. ups mm-hmm right? So we remove, we want to review exactly where we want our elbows. We want to make sure the bar is staying close. We're going to do that for six or seven minutes. We have a then maybe seven to 10 minute, you know, higher intensity piece. So what have we really done? We did a warm up that didn't probably, you know, a lot of mobility work, just kind of getting the body loosened up, ready to move. We did one set, maybe two sets of relatively heavy deadlifts. We transitioned. We did some light PVC barbell work, you know, you know, um, Got the, the movement prep ready, not a whole lot there. And then we worked out hard for seven minutes. Yep. For a guy my size, 185, 190 pounds, maybe 300 calories
0: mm-hmm.
1: burned. Maybe. Right? You know, that's one day, like sure. Like you're gonna have another day, maybe it's a 30-minute piece or something like that. That'll be a higher output. But those aren't there every day. And so I think some people massively overestimate some of that training. Now I change that to. Um, let's say it's a more of a strength hypertrophy based training approach. So I come in, I'm going to do, um, you know, alternating exercises of um, bench press or strict press with uh, pull-ups or barbell rows or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, 90 second rest between each set. I'm going to do three sets of that. I'm moving immediately on. I've got accessory work. It's going to be, you know, banded, banded pull downs um, and, you know, dumbbell rows or something like that. I got two of those. I do another ex- That's reset over here. I've actually done a lot more work over the course of that hour. Not to say it's a huge difference, but it might be a little bit more, you know, comparative to what the actual average CrossFit class ends up in my opinion. Definitely more strength work. Definitely more strength. Definitely (laughs) more strength for, for sure. But I also think people underestimate that it might actually end up being more movement, more sets, more weight move, depending upon what the training approach is for that gym and where they are um, with their style comparative to what people think it is. You know, I think people think, Oh my God, I work. I'm on my ass at the end of this class. I must've burned 700, 800 calories.
2: You know, it's just probably not true. Yeah, another thing I wanted to to learn more about, Mike, and so my fiance is a nutrition coach, works with a lot of people at our at our gym, and uh, a lot of the stories that I'm hearing through her is that people are just underfed; they just don't Mm -hmm. eat enough food. And one of the things that she does for a lot of her clients is slowly add in more food. And to my surprise, not being as much I guess into the nutrition scene as she is. I'm surprised at how much it affects, impacts positively impacts their body composition, and yep. I just would love to hear from you. Why does eating more lead to better comp- body composition and better weight loss? And maybe it's, you know, say it to me like I'm a four year old, <laughs> just so I can yeah. kind of understand. There's, there's, two, why does that there's two reasons.
1: Yeah, cool. There's two reasons. One is that you're actually not eating more. Here's the thing. So most people will tell you what they think they're doing, which is that sort of like Monday through Thursday, maybe Sunday through Thursday. I'm eating 1,400 calories a day. Cool. But then they forget that on Friday and Saturday, they're eating thousands and thousands of calories, maybe because of the caloric restriction that they're trying to put themselves in for the the earlier part of the week. And so if you take those low days and those high days and you average them out, we'll say it's actually 2,000 calories per day. You know what I mean? And so if I take them and I say, all right, I'm going to have you eat more. So instead of more focusing on trying to hit 1400 calories per day, we're going to try for 1500 and then 1600 and then 1700 and then 1800. You know, we get them to that point and now those binges on the weekend are gone. And so now they actually are eating, let's say 1800 calories per day. And before they were eating 2000 or 2100. And as a result of that, they're actually going to be eating less. So Mm -hmm. in that situation, more is less. Right. The other aspect of eating more that does produce uh, that, that we're, we're literally eating more is um, if you eat at a low level for a long enough period of time, your body 100% does view it as a threat to your survival and down regulates a number of biologic and metabolic functions. The easiest and best one to use it as an example is, um, is like for women to lose their menstrual cycle like that is that is not necessary for survival it is a luxury and the body will absolutely remove it if it has deemed that there are not enough calories in the day to you know to make it happen um in an attempt to get you out of that calorie deficit so now let's say that that person literally is eating an average of 1400 calories per day their you know uh, some of their biological functions have decreased you know um it's not repairing you know, tissues as well as it possibly should the menstrual cycle is gone. Um, no more bone remodeling. So you know, more likely to have you know, breaks and sprains and things like that. So now I come in and I increase you over the course of six weeks to say 2000 calories per day. Mm-hmm. All of those biological processes come back on and all of them require energy. And so even though I've increased your calories by let's say 600 calories per day, you've also increased your caloric output by let's say 500 calories per day. On top of that, when you eat more you will subconsciously start to move more as well mm. so if um, at least for a lot of people so when you're in that hypocaloric state really not eating enough food your body's metabolism is down regulated and so even though you're eating and burning 1400 calories a day you're no longer losing any weight so i increase you to um 2000 calories per day those biological processes come back on and you start to move more mm-hmm. right Mm-hmm. On top of that, your training is better. Your muscle repair is better. You're building more lean muscle mass. Sure, right. Your stress response is better. In a caloric deficit state, your cortisol, which is your stress hormone, is driven up through the roof. That causes muscle protein breakdown and water retention, mm. also immune suppression. Um, and so you're puffier. You're not generating new muscle and things like that. So all of those things come back online in a healthy way, and so you most likely build muscle and lose fat. Right and lose water. This mm-hmm. produces aesthetic changes that are favorable. Where they're actually what people are looking for. Right, And so that's the other way that people eat more and I would say become leaner as opposed to lose weight.
2: Is this something that you are seeing very, is, is, is this very, is this the most common thing you probably see, Mike?
1: Yeah. I think, I think this is what caused M2 to make its name back in the day in 2017. People yeah, people under eating and then you know when we increase their their food intake you know they just shred right like especially if they're training relatively higher volume we'll say like two hours a day or so or plus if you take somebody that's training like that and you get them to eat appropriately it's freaking crazy how much like progress they'll make aesthetically even if the scale does or doesn't change and we wrote, i wrote a post how I, I literally had this happen um where it was really bad in 2017 like it was it's a lot better now in 20 almost 2022 It was so bad. Like I would say, ninety percent of the intake forms that I would get back then, I was just like shaking my head, being like, "What are you doing? Like what?" And it's not the person's fault. They they're coming to me having worked with other companies, other nutrition coaches that are giving them these numbers or apps, right? Like their algorithms. And so you know, you just. I I remember opening one up and being—it was like a thousand calories a day for somebody that was training like an hour and a half, like relatively busy job as like a nurse—and I just lost it. I was like, I had this Jerry Maguire moment where I just like wrote this blog post, used two coach or two clients that I'd been working with prior as examples of like what happens when you feed more. And before I could think about it, just like, percent and put on Instagram, you know, on online, and the response was crazy. For like back in the day, it was like I got like two hundred fifty likes or something, which I was nobody knew who the fuck I was back then. (laughs) It was like huge. Right. And I was like, this is crazy. We had all kinds of inquiries coming in and, you know, so that type of approach, that type of thing that your, you know, your wife is describing, I've been seeing yeah. since 2017 and yeah, it's better people are a little bit more informed about not starving themselves than they were back then, but it's still a problem for sure,
2: you know, right. 100%. So I'm thinking about the person driving right now and they're thinking, gosh, I, I wonder if I'm under eating. Do you have a <sighs> assigned? Do you have something that they could kind of yeah. think about if they wonder if they're having that question right now? Yeah, for sure.
1: So there's a couple of different ways that I think about this. Um, I'll give you a couple of easy ones. So one is your sleep quality. So you should be able to sleep most of the night through without waking up, staring at the ceiling. You know, maybe once get up, go pee, go right back to bed. Have no issues falling asleep. Uh, if you're waking up multiple times, if you're waking up before your alarm clock goes off despite wanting to sleep later, that's that's a sign that things might be problematic Mm. you know um low training energy right so you're just not making any progress in the gym like at all like you're like dude i'm stuck at the same back squat level for the last you know years like what's going on great example like high level athlete christy aramo right worked with her she hadn't appeared her back squat in forever within two months of getting her eating appropriately just just this past year she hit like a, a new pr and it was just like you know she wasn't eating that badly before but she was stuck from an endurance athlete mentality you know help change it up a little bit and boom strength gains like crazy so that's another sign uh low sex drive is another one for sure so if you have a low libido you know either as a man like literally cannot you know get attention um or uh, as a woman just really zero desire and things of that nature that's a sign of under eating as well um, those are the big ones. So to use way back in the day, from when I first started, um, I learned this from James Fitzgerald. I you know he's been on your show, The Three H's. So, um, you know, healthy, <laughs> uh, was happy, healthy, and horny, right? So you should be in a good mood. You should not be getting sick or hurt all the time. And you should be having a good solid sex drive. If all of those things are going on, and I would just add sleep, not a, doesn't not an H, but yeah, you know, those are the signs that I look for to say somebody's not recovering the way, not even the way they should be for all the training that they're doing.
2: Perfect. Good to know. As we kind of wrap up here, I just kind of think about the, the conversation we've had, Mike, and the two things that pop up to me, and we, we wanted to talk about nutrition and we did, but the two things that, that keep coming up out of your mouth is sleep and stress. Yep. So to yep. me, what I'm hearing is sleep is the foundation. It's almost like the oh, first yeah. one of the first questions you're asking people is not mm-hmm. what are you eating, but rather how much are you sleeping? Am I on that right tune there?
1: 100%. Yeah. So we have, we have four or five questions on our intake form around sleep. So when are you, how much, um, when do you get in bed? When do you wake up? How much are you sleeping per night? Um, how many times do you wake up per night? Uh, and I think, and like, maybe like rate the quality of your sleep, you know? Mm-hmm. So those are the questions we're asking about sleep because that's how important it is to us.
2: And when people aren't getting sleep, I'm assuming that, that that's when uh, cravings probably rise, things like that. Big time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big time. And, the, yep. and, then, and then the second one is stress. And this is interesting. And I, and I remember uh, I watched your video about Noah Olson and his big weight loss yep. or whatever you want to call it, transformation, I guess. And the big thing you t- kept talking about was the idea of stress. And we, yep. um, I've seen it firsthand. We've seen it with Tasia, people that yep. leave a stressful environment. As we kind of close down, can you just touch on why stress is so important?
1: Yeah, for sure. So. Um, the body does like pretty much view stress from a hormonal point of view in one way and one way only. Um, and that's the production of a hormone called cortisol. So, you know, forgive forgive the exclusion of like the fight or fight response, like you get into a car accident, you get that like adrenaline rush. We're not talking about that. Um, so cortisol is a, your major stress hormone. It's necessary. We need it to live. It's not a bad thing. It's a bad thing in excess. And so, you know, this the stress response was evolutionarily designed for 10, 20,000 years ago when um, stresses were short lived, right? Like for the most part, it was not a, a long, arduous, never ending stress in the same way that bills are, mm-hmm. that, you know, the modern life never lets up and things like that. Never mind training stress, right? Training produces the same stress response as well. And so all of these things can compound um, and sort of uh, cause issues. So one, um, it can cause you know, muscle protein breakdown, so uh, more injuries and things like that. Two, it can cause immune suppression, cause you to get sick and those things. None of those, neither of those are going to help your nutrition. The last one though, that's a little bit more directly connected to nutrition is um, the best way to blunt that cortisol response, that stress response is to spike your blood sugar. And so this is one major reason why people stress eat. So forgetting, forget the Tasia example, forget the Noah example for a second. Let's just talk about somebody who has a lot of stress in their life and is yeah, struggling yeah. to control their nutrition, mm-hmm. right? Probably a lot of your listeners. Yes, I know right. I, I've been there. So you come home from that long day of work, you're stressed, your cortisol levels, your, your stress hormones, is literally higher than it should be. And you reach for that bag of chips or cookies or whatever, and you have it and you feel better. The reason why is because as that sugar comes into your body and spikes your blood glucose, it stops that cortisol response. It's literally stopping the stress response. This is the major reason why people stress eat. Mm. It is a biologically per, you know, programmed survival response. Because oh. doesn't it make sense evolutionarily? You know, 5,000 years ago, if you were stressed, it makes a shitload of sense to go eat a lot of calories because mm. who the hell knows when you're going to eat again? But the problem is in our modern world, the stress is never ending, right? Kids, work, bills, all that stuff. Those never go away. We're always stressed and we have instantaneous, continuous access to food. So we're always able to battle that stress response with, you know, with too much food. And as a result of it, we get programmed to, oh, this is how I solve my stress problem. And I just get stuck in this loop. And then I gain 20 pounds before I really even recognize what's going on. Funny story. I didn't really understand stress eating. I under I got a, I understood it like physiologically. I couldn't understand it from a personal level. And then I had a kid. Mm. I was a stress not eater for most of my life. So like college, like exams and stuff, I don't need food. Like yep. for a day before, don't need it. I'll be fine. Just didn't want to eat. Appetite gone. Competition same thing. Kind of struggled to eat. And then I had a kid and she'd be crying. And I finally get her down after like two hours. And I'd be like, I want to go eat an entire fucking pizza, like the entire thing. And it will make me feel better. Right. And, um, it was the first time in my life I truly understood it. And I was like, holy shit, this is stress eating. This is like, I a hundred percent feel better after I've done this. This is very addictive. This feels good. (laughs) <laughs> the problem is, of course, it's not a long-term solution to anything. It doesn't solve any of the problems, right? Yeah. So that's just you know n- more nutrition coaching. Like you got to people get people to break that cycle and recognize that they can go for a walk, they can do some breathing exercises, they-, they can talk to their partner and be like, "I'm stressed to freak out right now. Can we just like figure out a way to deal with this?" And if you can, you know, transfer that at least most of the time, not all of the time, to a a non-food based solution, you're going to be better off for it in the long run.
2: You know. Right. And how true it is it that our body just holds on to it? I mean, we saw with Noah oh, yeah. too and Antasia, it just seems that when people get away from CrossFit, I mean, I look at um, yep. Camille, like, yes, she got into a different sport. So she might be an yep. exception, but it seems like when people get done with CrossFit, Mike, they get leaner. Totally. hundred like, percent. I mean, and, and, CrossFit and is and super like, stressful. Yeah. CrossFit yeah. is a
1: super stressful sport, right? Like it's, um, it's high intensity most of the time, especially at sort of the affiliate level, right? Like everyday people come there for that, like endorphin hit, you know? And if you don't give it to them, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. even though you probably shouldn't, they'll go find somebody else that will. Mm -hmm. And, um, that, that is stressful. You're not meant in my opinion, to simulate a bear fight five to six times a week. You're really not. And if you think about it, this is the crazy thing for me is that like, if you go back to 2006, like when, you know, CrossFit HQ started putting workouts like online, it wasn't that way either. No, Mm -mm. it was like Monday was five by five back squat and that's it. Tuesday might be Cindy and Wednesday was a 5k row. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now that's just Monday. (laughs) Right. True. (laughs) Like literally now that's just Monday. Like that's all like pushed into one class and we're going to fucking go like gangbusters to get through all of it. I've been to gyms where I'm like, holy moly, why are we doing all this so much? Like this is like, you know, because people have now made CrossFit the focus. Mm -hmm. It used to be, we're going to do this to go do other stuff. We're going to surf, we're going to ski, we're going to rock climb. And now it's like, this is it. And so, you know, a, a five by five day where we focus on good form and warming up and stuff is no longer acceptable from the, the mainstream CrossFitter community, you know? So it's, it's definitely evolved. And I'm not sure necessarily in a, a way that's healthy for our hormones in the long run, you know, yeah. at least, at least not if you're not eating enough, can you handle that training? Yes. But you got to eat enough and sleep enough to do it. I don't want to give your listeners the perspective that like, we're these delicate little flowers that can't handle intensity. But yeah. if you're going to train like that, you got to, you got to eat. Like you got to eat and you can't be worried about losing weight in that situation. You've got to be
2: focused on performance. Good point. Um, I know I'm over here, but I got to get to this point because this, this needs to be echoed. And I love that you said, you said, you said losing weight doesn't mean being happier at the end of the day. If you weren't happy before abs, you likely won't be happy with them after. Um, Let's close down with this. Talk to me about why that's so important to you.
1: Yeah. So, so many people come to us thinking about the fact that like, they're going to be happy when they get to a certain body composition that like aesthetic changes are going to be the thing that ultimately makes them feel happy about themselves as a person in this world, et cetera. And, you know, I've been doing this a long time now, and I could probably count on less than one hand, the number of times that that's actually been the case. And those one hand examples are people that I've needed that have needed to lose a lot of weight, like close to hundred plus pounds, because they were really, really unhealthy. Your average person who thinks that they need to lose 10 to 15 pounds to lose To be happy is very unlikely to actually be a happy person at the end of that process because of all of the things that they're going to have to give up to make that happen. So, you know, for me, I probably sit close to like 18% body fat. You know, I've got visible abdominal muscles, I feel good about my body composition. For me to get leaner, I have to stop going out to restaurants as much as I'd like to do. I definitely can't have like any alcoholic beverages like that's a big no-no for sure. I have to restrict myself in uh in you know some of the fun foods that I like to eat like no no bedtime cereals and things of that nature. Um uh it becomes a lot harder and life is less enjoyable in a pretty substantial way when I get to that level. Never mind the the larger impact which is like The 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 happiness that you get from seeing a visual, you know, change is very fleeting. And then like what's what's gonna take its place? Because the brain is always looking for dopamine that like driving, it's not necessarily a pleasure response, it's more of like a a motivational response. And so you get there and it's like I always want more. And it's crazy. So this is a fun fact. The leaner people are, generally the more body dysmorphia they end up having. Right. And the less happy they are. There are studies on sure. this. Yeah. There are studies that show this that like the leanest people that are around are the least happy with their bodies, with their Makes physique. Mm-hmm. It's right. Like so you think to yourself, I'm going to be happy when I get to 10, 12% body fat, maybe 15% as a woman. But the reality is it's almost the exact opposite. You get there and you're like, is wow, that because I'm totally it's, it's never
2: enough. You just you just want more.
1: It's, is that is that what you mean by that? Exactly. Like yeah. they're constantly dopamine like hunting and stuff like that. It's just never enough. It's literally never enough. And it wasn't that fulfilling in the first place. They got there and they're like, okay, cool. Like I thought this was going to feel different, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't. Like I I might get a little bit more attention from people at the gym and stuff. That feels nice, but what's next, you know? And it's, that's a hard thing to break. So like really searching for some sort of other internal happiness factor to me seems like a more long-term motivational goal. That's also healthy and able to be integrated in life. So I can PR my back squat. And then be like, okay, cool. I want to add five more pounds to it over the next time period. I don't have to restrict and give up more for the most part to make that happen. I can think about doing things and being what I can add to get to that goal, as opposed to what I have to subtract. And to be clear, like you know, for the most part, people that are chasing these really lean physiques, you have to, you have to live a restriction-based lifestyle. And that's generally not very pleasurable.
2: Mm-hmm. Or or sustainable, perhaps?
1: Yeah, I would say for the most part, re- sustainable, right? Unless you're a genetic freak, you know, that just kind of lives that way to begin with. Um, it's not going to be sustainable.
2: Very cool. Yeah. I, I think the great place to end is kind of where we started. And you said calling what we do nutrition coaching doesn't really do it justice. I mean, yep. how true is that in this conversation today? It, <laughs> it just everything we talked about was nutrition, but we didn't talk about eating broccoli, right? It's much more nope. than that.
1: For sure. I completely, completely agree. You know, um, regardless of whether or not you want to chase health aesthetics or performance, like it's, um, it has to be sustainable. It has to be something that you can do long-term otherwise it's a waste of time, you know? And so that's ultimately a good, you know, kind of place for your message, you know, place to end off for your listeners is, you know, whatever you're going to do nutrition wise, it's got to be sustainable for you. Mm-hmm. That's the,
2: that's the key take home point. Very cool. Mike, this was fun, man. I learned a lot from you. If I want to uh, point my listeners in your direction, if you're taking clients, um, just take the floor. Where can they go?
1: Yeah. So uh, come check us out at m2performancenutrition.com. We got good testimonials and stuff on the website. Check that out. Check out our programs. And then uh, if you want to learn more about sort of the philosophies that we touched on here today, head on over to our Instagram page. Again, just m2performancenutrition. Uh, Swipe through, read some of our, our posts around these topics. You'll learn some fun stuff, some science, some have some good feels as well. And uh, yeah, you'll learn we'll, we'll learn more about what we're all
2: about. Very cool. I'll link that in the show notes. Mike, thanks for taking the time, in This is a lot of fun. Guys, if you enjoyed the show, be sure to share it on your Instagram, tag Mike or I. If you have a question, let us know. We'd love to help you out and guide you closer to kind of that lifestyle that you want to live, that happier lifestyle that we were talking about. Uh, we'll see you guys next week for another episode on the My Fit podcast. Take care.